0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. I'm Brad Talley, the teaching elder, although I'm not teaching today. We are blessed and privileged to have Sean Cross who will be filling that role this morning. Just a couple of prayer requests. I really don't like to do this at this point in in the service, but a couple that you need to know about. Ellie Wall is in the hospital, and kidney issues. They've taken a biopsy, but she has been in some severe pain. So please pray for Ellie. They've got it managed for the most part, but pray for her, and Harold Jernigan will be going in for knee surgery as soon as they can take him. It's some pretty serious surgery. Harold's going to have to have, too. So please pray for both of these. Well, how many of you have come since Sean Cross left to plant in D.C.? How many of you have come to Grace since then? All right, a good number of you. I don't know if you've ever heard Sean preach. We have been blessed to have him uh, stand in this spot for many years. Uh, I met Sean just about the time David Calvert started coming to, to Grace, David was the reason a lot of those guys came. And consider both David and Sean, sons in the ministry, uh, dear friends, uh, and dear brothers in Christ. Sean's the kind, we don't talk very often, but whenever there's a major sporting event, we do get in touch with each other. I mean, out of the Amen. blue, i like, Amen. can you believe that call? And we're, we're kind of that way back and forth. I just want to say this because I want to encourage you to listen at a deeper level. Uh, Most of the witnessing encounters I have with people these days begin with worldview conversations. And a lot of the most important things that I say about worldview, I learned from Sean. So I appreciate uh, your ministry to all of us at Grace Community Church. And this is a day that the elders have prayed for for a long time. Sean has returned to Grace. (laughs) Get it? Sean has returned. He's at Grace Community Church. Come, brother, and share the
1: word. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Good morning and greetings from D.C. I'm I'm so thankful for all of you. Melissa and I are very thankful for all of you. Uh, Pastor Brad, uh, as he said, he very much is a father in the ministry to me uh and <clears throat> and a, a good father who cares and uh so he he called me up and you know we're in dc and he said i've been hearing things about dc i'm a little worried about you and i just want to make sure things are okay uh that the culture and just the the you just hear things and want to make sure you're fine He said yeah i'm fine he said i want to make sure that you're still grounded in things and i said i I really am. He said, uh, I want to make sure um, you still believe in free speech, right? Kind of taken aback. Of course, Brad. Of course I believe in free speech. He said, good, come give one. And so here I am <laughs> this morning. It is <laughs> It is uh, good to be, to be with you. Um, it's good to be with family. Uh, I'd like to call your attention to 1 John chapter 4. So if you turn to 1 John, I heard that you're going through the book of John. Uh, and, and so I, I, I don't want to jump into John, but I, I thought it would be fun uh, and and good to spend some time with the Apostle John. Uh, and particularly in this epistle, we're in 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to go through the whole chapter, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to read that to you now. Uh, at Union Church, we, we do something that's a little more traditional, a little more liturgical, but it reminds us of the fact, uh, and you may do this, and so I'm sorry if you do, and I'm explaining. It reminds us of the fact that, that, that Scripture is given to us. It's God-breathed, and it's a gift from God. And something that we ought to be thankful for. So after the reading of the scripture, the reader says, this is the word of the Lord. And all who are thankful for it respond saying, thanks be to God. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to do that out of habit. And I'm just going to invite you uh, to be thankful for the word of the Lord with me. And so 1 John 4, uh, we're going to read the entire chapter. It says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother, and this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that that by the blood of Jesus we have been called your children. We have been brought near. We have been brought into the fullness of your covenant with us, God. We are thankful that you have not left us alone, that you have given us the testimony and the teaching of your apostles. And more than that, you've given us your spirit by which we see, hear, believe, discern, and are transformed. So would you. By the power of your spirit, teach us this morning. And and may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So I joked before about that conversation with Brad, uh, but here's the thing. We do live in D.C., and D.C. is an interesting town. We love it. It's home. It's it's been home now for nearly five years, which is crazy to say and to think about. Um, We love D.C., uh, but in in D.C., it is easy to see what John is talking about in the beginning of this text. There are competing spirits. There are competing worldviews. There are competing ways at uh, uh, through which, or lenses through which we see the world, process life, truth, God, all the things that are and that matter. This is a fact. It's one that we we can't turn our eyes away from. And yet, as we start this chapter, John is telling us something. Uh, He's telling all of us something, something that's not just for people who are in cosmopolitan, uh, largely progressive areas like D.C. Uh, It's for people who follow Jesus throughout the world. John starts out this chapter by telling us that there is cosmic, eternal battle happening amongst us, in our midst, all around us. That there is a cosmic war that is being waged, and it is not between the forces of one nation and another, though we see that even as a result of of that cosmic battle. It is between the spirit of God and that which comes from God, the truth of God, the reality of the lordship of God, and the spirits that are opposed to God. And that that battleground is not simply fought. And so it's funny, when you live in D.C. and people are, you meet people. So, for example, uh, I was at uh, the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham, Alabama, a couple weeks ago. And you meet people from D.C. and there's this, this real sense of like oh, you're from D.C., how do you you deal with that? So much is happening there right now, and there's this idea that what happens in the Capitol building or the White House somehow is like what life in D.C. is like, and it's just not. Like, we... We hardly even think about the Capitol building or, or the White House in terms of we don't see it every day. It's not like everywhere we walk when we drive to school, there's, there's debates and there are Congress people like talking, you know, and, and we're getting asked our opinions on this, that. And like life there is like life here. There's just a lot more people there, right? And, and, and part of the reason we get asked that is because there's this understanding that a lot of important stuff is happening in the city in which we live. Right, when we talk at a national level, uh, when you have the Supreme Court building and the Capitol building and the White House, right, a lot of important stuff is happening there. And there is a tendency to believe that some of the most important battles that are being waged in the world right now are happening in those three buildings. Right. But the fact is there the battleground is is all over the earth and that there is cosmic war that is being waged at a higher level than that. And you, you are the field like we are the battleground in which this spiritual war is being waged. And John is telling us that John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out. So here's the thing, regardless of where you live, in this country or in the world, you are always, we are always being confronted by the forces of evil, by the forces of darkness. I I want to set these stakes high enough for us so that we can see how critical, what's to come is we are in the middle of a battle a deep spiritual battle and there are the forces that are opposed to god and there are god's forces there is god's spirit And at every moment, the spirit of the enemy is contending with the spirit of God in our lives, in our hearts, in our church for our unity. For our joy. For our peace. For our hope. For our allegiance. For our worship. Every image that you get every message that you get is either calling you to follow to serve to prioritize as highest king and highest allegiance Jesus and his kingdom or something else the spirit of the enemy denies Jesus and the centrality of his kingdom that is that Jesus is the Christ the promised Messiah the son of the living God the stakes are high And John does not want us to be caught unaware, to be caught off guard. He wants us to be able to discern, to test the spirits. And the way that he teaches us to do that might actually be surprising. Not necessarily surprising in its content, but but just listen. Because he says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's pretty simple, right? But it's actually pretty surprising. Let me read it again. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The sign here that John gives us, the test, is the incarnation, is the person of Jesus. If the spirit testifies, if this person or this spirit or this message, if it testifies that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, then it is from God. This this feels uncomfortably broad, doesn't it? Like, we we want more, don't we? Like, we we want John to go into details. And... (laughs) And and if I were to just say this and not root it in John, because listen, this isn't me saying it, right? This is the Apostle John, the one Jesus loved. You might say, actually, there are other tests, and I don't like that because there are other standards, there are other tests. I get it. Like, I, I came into Reformed theology in college, which meant that I was an angry, arrogant, uh, Reformed guy. <laughs> and now, hopefully, I'm just not angry and arrogant, although sometimes, right? Like, <clears throat> but... But there are these these tests that we want to set up, these standards that we want to include. We want to say, yeah, that ant, yeah, that's great, but what about this? And it reminds me a lot of Mark chapter 9, where the disciples uh, see that somebody is casting out a demon in the name of Jesus, and they're like, "Uh, Jesus, should we stop him? Because he's not with us, right? Like, He's over there. He hasn't been walking with you like he hasn't gone to the Jesus side seminary like us. Uh, We don't know his credentials. He's casting out demons and he's using your name. Should we stop them? And Jesus says, he says, uh, no. Anyone who is not against us is for us. What a strange way to say that. Because we like the disciples, like the people of God, Israel, we tend to frame that the other way, don't we? Anyone who is not for us is against us. But Jesus says just the opposite. If they're not against us, if they're not preaching against me, Then then let let them live and let them do that work because they're doing it in my name. There's another story that's really, it's a lot like it. It's in Matthew 12, and Jesus casts out a demon. Now, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, casts out Jesus, and the Pharisee says, The Pharisees are looking at him, and they see a demon possessed man cast out by Jesus, and their response, He must be doing it in the name of Satan. It's a trick. That's their response. They've seen a demon cast out and they're trying to figure out like what's his angle, what's Jesus angle, house divided? And they say, yeah, he cast them out in the name of Beelzebub and Jesus says, "No, a house divided against itself can't stand." If, If if we're casting out demons in my name, it's because it's in my name. It's about me. This is the test. We are like what we see in Jesus and what we see in John here in John's letter here is that we we tend to think about things in terms of who's on the outside, and Jesus tends to think about terms on who is who am I bringing in. And that's a remarkable statement. They, the sign of being from God, is that confession of the incarnation of Jesus. And so he says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, is the one that does not confess Jesus. It, It may have other marks that look good, but if it doesn't confess as central, Christ, Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, then it's not from God. And they're coming at you. These forces are coming at you with this message. And then John encourages us. He says, little children, you're from God and have overcome them. Because if you're from God, God is in you. And greater is he who is in you than who is in the world. So those spirits speak from the world and to the world, and the world hears them. My spirit testifies from me and from my son and my children, and they hear us. So we see the stakes, the war. We see the sides lined up. They're, they're, they're maybe a little different than we had first imagined, but they're real. And there is much at stake. And it seems like what we should have done is just unpacked the, like, John should have stopped there. Like, got it? Good. But he's actually tucked this thing about spirits and testing them and the enemies and the forces that are from the Antichrist and the enemies and the forces that are from God himself in the midst of this conversation about love. Like we are tempted to to break, pause, stop, That's the end of that little bit. All right, now John has turned the corner and is talking about something else here. But actually, he continues the conversation. This next part continues the conversation. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Now listen, what is the confession that is made of the spirits that are from Let us love Jesus Christ is from God. And then he's saying here, let us love one another, for love is from God. God, this notion of from God is going to keep coming up again and again because he wants us to see that the confession that Jesus is the Christ who has come from God is directly linked to love and the way that we love one another, brothers and sisters. Love. Jesus is from God. There is this incarnational reality that is incarnation in flesh, meat, right? Carne, like, like the the delicious one at like Chipotle, right? Flesh, meat, in meat. God incarnate, God in flesh. But love becomes this sort of incarnational reality that exists for those who are in. Christ, it demonstrates, it comes from, it puts on display God. See, John is rooting all of this in love. And so I want us to talk for the next few minutes that we have together about love. And I want to be very specific because Jesus commands love a lot. The scriptures command love a lot. You remember uh, the story, right, of of the man who comes up or the Pharisees. uh, It's different in in different uh, gospels. What's the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus respond? Love God with everything you have, and the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or you may remember the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus breaks off for a second and he says, You've heard it said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for the ones who persecute you. Bless them. So you've heard from Jesus, love God, love your neighbor. You've heard from Jesus, love your enemies. But over and over again, Jesus says this, this is my commandment that you love one another that your joy may be made full. Listen, we are to love God. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to love even our enemies. But right now, what John is specifically talking about is the love that exists within the family of God, within the church, one another, brothers and sisters, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, whose shared confession is that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to see that. That's the love we're talking about here. And, and I know that there's, there's a desire to not to want to distinguish the types of love, but, but family, we shouldn't be afraid to do that because the scriptures do. The scriptures say, love and, and uh, show love to everyone, especially to the household of God. Like, if we're talking in terms of family, it is possible to be a family, to love deeply and well those who are not in your family, and yet to also have a special and strange familial affection for those who are in your family, isn't it? And the scriptures are giving that. This is what we're talking about right now. Beloved, loved of God, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the first thing that we want to see, that I want us to see from this text that John gives us, is that love is the great and ultimate theology. Walk with me for a second. He says, the only way to know God is to love. Do you see that? Can I prove it from the text really quickly if you don't? Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. There's that knows God theology. It's it's the study of the, the movement, the pursuit of the knowledge of God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love there is a theological impulse to loving. In other words, your theology is only as deep and as true as it propels you to love. You can hold the soundest of doctrinal principles. You can regurgitate uh, the entire book of church order if that's where you roll. Or, or all, <clears throat> all 95 theses if that's you know, or, or you could recite from heart uh, all the study notes and whatever your favorite study Bible is. You could ace the doctrine exam and if it has not caused you, compelled you to love, then it rings hollow. If that sounds familiar, it should. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 13. If I know, if I have all the knowledge and all the wisdom and have not love, I am nothing. This isn't just John being smushy, this is the Christian faith. Love is the great theology, it is, it is, the, it is the beginning. It is the driving factor, and it is the end goal of all theological and doctrinal pursuit love of God and love for the family of God. Brothers and sisters, love one another, love the church, love God's children. Not only is love the great great theological reality, love is the great apologetic tool. Like, listen to what comes next. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son, into the world so that we might live through him. So so we're getting theology here, the theology of the incarnation of the life of Jesus. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, our, the forgiveness of our sins, the, the the payment for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins, this theological understanding of what Jesus has done comes as we understand love. And then he keeps going. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Your good theology will lead to love. No one has ever seen God. Why is that an important statement? It harkens back to what John said in the beginning of this. That we are bringing words about truth and about reality and about God and life. and We are speaking a message and we are speaking. And other forces are speaking against us and counter to that. And listen, people do not just naturally turn to God. They haven't seen God. The people long for what they can touch and see and smell. Like God isn't, isn't like an immediate reality to every person. It's not like, oh, here's this table stand, tall thingy, right? Like I see it, I touch it, I believe. Like God is not that for people. And so we know that and we use all of these apologetic tools, right? Here are the proofs of God. Here's evidence that demands a verdict. Great, do that, please. I love it. I do the same. But right here. John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, i.e., as we love each other as the Christian family, we make manifest incarnate to the world right here, right now, the reality of God. Christian, inter-Christian love is the great apologetic. Listen, like, so I, I, I'm not going to touch John too much, don't worry, Uh, except what you've already done, right? John 1, John 6, John 7, John 14, all speak to this. John 1 says this, uh, no one has seen the father, but Jesus has made him known. Like the son, the only son whom God has sent has made him known, right? No one has seen the father. Jesus becomes the ultimate apologetic. Like he is the authoritative, ultimate apologetic tool, right? Apologetic to who God is. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God treats people? Look at Jesus. You want to have an understanding of the way God would move in the world? God has moved in the world and is moving in the world. Look at Jesus. Likewise, we get this. No one has seen the Father, but if you love one another, God abides in you. That you is not individual. That you is y'all, right? Like uh, online, there's a y'all Bible. And like after at first, I was like, this is just delightful. But it is actually so helpful because 99% of the times we see you in the Bible and we're like, I personally have to do that. When it's a (laughs) y'all, y'all, they'll see God in y'all. No one has seen God. Our love then in a sense is, as I said, it's incarnational. It makes God manifest to the world around us. Jesus reminds us of that constantly. And I, th- I think even through the history of the church. And imagine, for example, many of the wars, not all of them, but many of the wars that plagued Europe and the battles that plagued Europe. And, and you go through Europe, and it's interesting. One thing that struck me, and it was very meaningful to me, was, I was uh, I've been in multiple places in Europe, and I've seen tombstones from the same war opposing sides with crosses on them. And just struck by this reality that there have been times in our history as a church where Christian has killed Christian in the name of a state. And for a second, just run this with me for a second. Imagine the witness. Imagine the testimony if brothers then it was brothers, had laid down arms and said, I will not kill my brother and my fellow citizen in the kingdom of heaven in the name of the king of this temporal, soon-to-be-dust empire or state. Right? Like this one hits close to home, doesn't it? Imagine the witness of the American church. If we had said, I will love my brother and sister in spite of what these systems and what these laws demand. That love means that I will not send you to a different building to worship and take communion, and and call on Jesus' name. That I will not close the doors of my business, of my life, of my neighborhood, of my reality to you. The world does that, but the world doesn't know you. The world doesn't know him. And instead, we will let love govern how we respond to each other. Imagine the witness of a unified Christian church. Even now. How do we love our brothers and sisters who maybe uh, practice baptism a little bit differently across the street? Or who live in a different country and have needs that we can provide who the conversation is boundless Um, how about this imagine if for one second like we decided that we were not going to lob bombs at brothers and sisters on twitter and on social media that we were not going to write off And act like we somehow unilaterally own the keys to the kingdom, people who believe not just like secondary and tertiary issues, but issues that belong to a different kingdom altogether. If we didn't write, write people off for that, but instead said, these are my brothers and sisters, and we will demonstrate Christian love over all else. That's what happened in the early church. That's what made it so unbelievable, is Jew and Greek and Gentile and slave and free and rich and poor and man and woman were not supposed to embrace each other as brother and sister. When plague came and the poor couldn't leave, the rich weren't supposed to stay. And the church had this manifold witness, and the state realized we cannot do anything to stop this. And the church grew, and they died for one another, and they loved one another, right? Greater love is no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Uh, this is love that God has sent his own son to die for us. Like this notion that we do not regard ourselves as greater or having more need or as even able to ignore the need. And so we can talk about this on a grand level of anybody in the planet, but at the very least, our brothers and sisters In Christ, this is what John is talking about in this. Like we make God manifest in the world as we love one another. It's the great apologetic. And while our lack of love is not greater than the power of the spirit to change a heart and to save a person. Let us not pretend like somehow that excuses the damage to the witness that we do when we fail to love one another well. Now, that's grand church level, and that's also Grace Community Church level. And let me tell you, like, I've experienced and seen firsthand, poured out on one another, the love of God. Grace Community Church, you love one another well. Well, and I want to make sure to commend that to you, even as I challenge us as a people to love bigger and better and more fully in Christ. You love and care for each other's needs. And oh my goodness, I can't tell you how much of a tool that is to bring people into the family. When they see how y'all love each other, like I want some of that love. Who didn't want that love? Right? And it's the same in D.C. People come in, and, and we don't have glitz. We don't have, like, like we're, we're bad. It's I mean, I am pre- I have a flip phone that tells you how technologically advanced our church is, but they're like, man, y'all love each other. It doesn't make sense. Like, y'all are not alike, but you love each other. I want some of that love. Love is the great apologetic, which makes it the great missional tool. It's the great theology, the great apologetic. It is the great sanctifier verse 12 says no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us that love being perfected in us is a way of talking about sanctification by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit his spirit is in us and this spirit it says Verse 17, by this love perfect is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Sanctification is the process by which God takes us from self-centered, sinful people and transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. And he does that by his overwhelming, powerful, spirit-driven love that melts fear from us Like, this is a gospel love. Love deepens us in the gospel because it reminds us of the gospel truth that there is nothing we can do or fail to do that will make uh, us be more or less accepted than we already are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has done it. It is finished. Christ has won. And he has purchased you by his blood. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. These aren't just cheap cliches that we, we can like rehash into songs. They are meant to give us life forever. That's why we sing them in the songs. They are meant to, to, to root us in the fact that we need not fear because God has finished his work. Even as he is working in us already, but not. Yet, and that sanctifies. And then ultimately it binds the church. And this is where we're going to stop. We love because God loved us first. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not have love for his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you want to be in God's church, you must love. You must love. You must love God. You must love God's people. You must love your neighbor. You must love your enemy. And if you don't love, If you are not characterized by love, marked by love, then there is real reason to question whether you've experienced, and seen, and tasted the love of God. Brothers and sisters, this is of dire importance. How do we love then? I'm just going to give you three things. They're simple. Number one, believe the gospel. We love because God loved us. This is the gospel that when we were unlovable, raggedy, dirty, just sinful, hating God, God loved us and demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die for us, The gospel roots you in the love of God. It is that God loved you first. God loved you first. See over and over again how I loved you. See the depths and the immeasurable depths of the love of God. Look deeper into God's love for you. Believe the gospel. And so I would then say if you're here and you have not yet believed the gospel of Jesus... You may be able to love, but there is a depth to love that you cannot understand. Trust in Jesus. He loves you. As you are. Right now. The way you are. Those things that you, he couldn't love this, that, and the other. He may not love this, that, and the other. He loves you. Second is prioritize Jesus because, see, something happens when you prioritize Jesus. You begin to, as he says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. You begin to prioritize the kingdom of God above all else, Jesus above all else. Your heart begins to break for the things that break the heart of Jesus, and your affections move greatly towards the things that Jesus' affections are moved towards, one of which is the church. Prioritize Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And finally, imitate him. Follow him. What he does, do. Love how he loves. Be patient like he's patient. Receive the outcast like he receives the outcast. Confound people's understandings of God's love by loving the enemy like Jesus did. Jesus Jesus was killed for a crime he didn't commit with people mocking him. And as they were mocking him, he actively prayed, Father, forgive them. Right? He didn't write them off. He he didn't have a nice long blog that was going to get them. (laughs) He prayed for them and loved them. Let us do the same. Let us love one another and let us pray. God, we've received great love, and to whom much is given, much is expected. And so you expect us to love greatly. And we want to love well, especially within the circles and throughout the ways that you've called us to love. And so first, God, we pray that your spirit would allow us to love you well. God, love causes us to obey you to follow you and to hope in you. And so I pray that we would love you well. Secondly, we want to love your people, the church. Not just our local expression, but the church, God. Give us love for our brothers and sisters all around the world. And in every uh, social position and political realm, let us love your people. And then God, our neighbors as ourselves, Leave in our enemies. Give us radical love because you loved your enemy to the point of death on the cross. For that, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission.